0: Digital Gonzo number 52, The Christmas Carol Special. <coughs> Good evening and welcome to Digital Gonzo. Charles Dickens' classic tale has been adapted for stage and screen dozens of times since its initial publication 168 years ago in December 1843. For this show we are looking at my two favourite versions. The first being the 2009 performance capture version created by Image Movers directed by Back to the Future helmsman Robert Zemeckis and produced by Disney. The second being the 1993 version created by Jim Henson Studios also produced by Disney, The Muppet Christmas Carol. To discuss these films and the rich and wonderful text at their source are Neil Taylor of GameBurst and KDS 2.0. Hello! And Matt Ramsey of Tunes, Hello! To start us off, here is the rousing score from the Zemeckis version orchestrated by Alan Silvestri. For those who have not yet seen the film, this plays over the glorious sweeping aerial journey through the snowbound streets of 19th century London in the cheery grip of the anticipation of Christmas. the book. It is exceptionally important to remember that this novella was originally published during a resurgence of interest in the traditions of Christmas to the English. At the time, many of the hallmarks we take for granted as having existed tempus tempest immemorial, a.k.a. forever, that's a little Garth Merengue for you, <laughs> had only just been introduced or reintroduced, including keeping a fir tree in your home, 1841, the sending of greetings cards, 1843, and the revival of carol singing. The Victorian reckoning of Yuletide has endured in Western culture so tenaciously that it's not much of a stretch for us to connect how we celebrate the season now with what we see in these films. The tale has been viewed as an indictment of 19th century industrial capitalism and has been credited with restoring the holiday to one of merriment and festivity in Britain and America after a period of sobriety and somberness. This story hit just at the right time and struck just the right tone in terms of Christmas. This was the Star Wars of its day. Dickens was 31 when he wrote this, and it's rather astonishingly powerful piece of writing, with damning judgments of the wealthy and selfish upperclassmen of the age, chilling portrayals of the hardships the poor had to endure, and a firm and confident message to the former that their help and generosity towards the latter would bring about an ever-multiplying state of happiness for all concerned. Dickens had experienced much hardship growing up and was thrust from relative comfort into factory work at the age of 12 due to his father's imprisonment, which clearly had some significant bearing on the portrayal of Scrooge's father and indeed Scrooge himself. He took particular issue with the way children of the era were treated so abominably, hence Oliver Twist, which he completed four years previously, and a pamphlet he began writing in early 1843 entitled An Appeal to the People of England on Behalf of the Poor Man's Child. He decided against releasing that pamphlet and instead crafted it into a story we know as A Christmas Carol. It was his hope that this would have 20,000 times the impact of a straightforward lecture. And the fact that we're talking about it now in 2011 tells me that he succeeded. Bear in mind that at five shillings per book, which is roughly £20.79, only the rich could afford this. On a side note, that also means that at 15 shillings a week, the Cratchits were struggling to survive on £60 a week. Dickens self-funded the publishing and did not receive particularly grand recompense at first. This wasn't helped in 1844 when book pirates cheaply distributed his work, declaring bankruptcy when he sued them and costing him another small fortune. On a side note to the entertainment industry, if they were doing it in the days before electricity, they will be doing it in the days after electricity. You will never be able to stop them. The book is available on Kindle free. It will take you a wonderful evening to read, and I recommend everybody listening to this does so immediately after. Of the films, Muppet Christmas Carol was directed by Brian Henson, son of Jim, who had died three years previously shortly before the studio and all its creations passed into ownership by disney it's a podcast in itself to discuss why after decades of triumph with shows like the muppets fraggle rock and the storyteller and films like labyrinth and the dark crystal not to mention their work on the star wars films as an independent company that the death of their leader and the acquisition by the house of mouse would result in obscurity and disney's dinosaurs throughout the 90s and beyond (laughs) The renaissance of computer graphical effects in the outstripping of physical puppetry absolutely played a baleful hand in all this, too. In consequence, many consider The Muppet's Christmas Carol to be the last hurrah for that company, and the recently released Muppet movie is purported to have the most appeal to those of us that remember Kermit, Miss Piggy, and their friends. Uh, This was actually Disney's second run at the story of A Christmas Carol, the first being... Uh,
1: The one with Scrooge McDuck
0: that's the one Mickey's Christmas Carol a heavily abbreviated 26 minute short that played alongside the theatrical re-release of The Rescuers over the holiday season in 1983 apparently the character of Scrooge McDuck had been around since 1947 and it took 36 years for somebody to figure out he'd make quite a good Ebenezer Scrooge The the production itself is rather charming, though the humour is clumsy and aimed at the very young, and due to the shortened nature of the story, a great deal of the narrative flow is lost. The best thing about it is the appearance of tertiary characters from Disney's Robin Hood and The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, made respectively in 1973 and 1949. It's a pleasing reminder that, like the Marvel Universe, when done right, Disney's creations can pop in and out of each other's stories.
2: Apparently, um, when I saw this film in the cinema, it scared me so much, I... I nearly wet myself with fear I don't know why
0: <laughs> that wasn't remember. on the poster
2: I remember you being very like upset in so a film good. but I don't remember anything about it I don't know why no one else knows why but something in it absolutely terrified me
0: yeah. It might just have been the whole Marley coming up the stairs and through the door. Because until it's you find out, it's definitely Goofy. um, It's a bit. I've not not dead watched it since, just in case. As the same effect, I don't know. (laughs) If you watch this and are scared, you're (laughs) mentally. My three-year-old child watches this. Okay, I has to have been
2: five when I watched it because I was five in eighty-three. Seventy-eight, yeah. Well, shameful then.
1: Neil, you ever had the pleasure on Mickey's Christmas Carol? I vaguely remember it, but that's about it. It literally is vaguely. Actually, I thought that was the first time that Scrooge McDuck was introduced, so.
0: So did I, until I did some checking. I was like, well, I knew that there was a Mickey's Christmas Carol. I'd never seen it, but I thought it makes sense that they'd create Scrooge McDuck and th- that Donald would be his nephew. <laughs> but apparently uh, uh, we yeah. were wrong. Um, you can catch it on YouTube. It's uh, it's in you know usually in three parts. So uh, I definitely recommend everyone check it out. Simply because it's a it's an odd little. I think it was the last time Mickey appeared for a, a proper stint on the big screen. Actually, there's a Mickey Mouse movie coming soon. Disney's third attempt was the 2009 version we're covering tonight. It was produced by Image Movies Digital, a studio that have to date singularly failed to reach the household name status of Pixar or DreamWorks. Their previous work includes the similarly festive-themed Polar Express in 2004, the overlooked Halloween tale Monster House in 2006, the fantastic Beowulf in 2007, and the abysmal Mars Needs Moms this year. These guys are also somewhat responsible for the propelling of 3D in real-D, a term which I still don't understand, which has plagued cinema like a perpetually flatulent house guest for so many years. When talking about their work, we absolutely have to discuss performance capture. Now, we will go into this in more depth on a later gondola, because the process fascinates me. But you guys need to have the distinction between this and motion capture made clear. Motion capture is when a stuntman or, on occasion, the actor himself is filmed and has their body movements mapped into animation. Their vocal work is recorded separately in a sound booth performance capture is when the actor embodies the role in a mocap suit but also acts and voices the part at the same time almost always against other actors it's effectively watching a theater production with an animated overlay and the potential for staggering detail when used correctly it can be extremely effective and has been so in both cinema and video games and and yeah as you say Andy Serkis in uh, Lord of the Rings as Gollum this is kind of where that that, that started off
1: yeah Lord of the Rings and King Kong and wasn't he Caesar in Rise of the Planet of the Apes as he well? He was indeed.
0: He was also in Heavenly Sword and kind of guided ninja theory into um, being able to make Heavenly Sword. And then he was also in Enslaved. So Andy Circus is like the champion of uh, performance capture because he puts so much of himself into each each performance. It's also worth mentioning the Uncharted series, which are obviously uh, you know one of the main video games that you'll be able to see this technique in used to staggering effect, the downside is that the movements and behaviours are so lifelike, the performance is so intense, that at times we forget that what we're watching is not photographed, but overlaid. Then, when a rubbery and unnatural body movement, imprecise physics, or a badly realised horse breaks the spell, we feel cheated and untrusting. This is far harder to come to terms with in cinema, where our brains are used to seeing real people act after decades of experience. There is a disconnect in our mind, which has been the main stumbling block in this style of animation's struggle for acceptance. The company was started in 1997 by Robert Zemeckis, director of the Back to the Future trilogy, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Death Becomes Her, Forrest Gump, whatever you think of that one, and Contact. Zemeckis is a futurist and has frequently sought out new ways of harnessing technology to bring people stories, but no... By no means as championed as Lucas and Spielberg, but to my mind, in many ways, more accomplished. In 2007, after Beowulf, Disney bought image movies and funded A Christmas Carol. In 2010, they closed the studio, even before the abysmal performance of Mars Needs Moms. Walt Disney Studios president Alan Bergman said, "'Given today's economic realities, we need to find alternative ways to bring creative content to audiences.' And Image Movers Digital no longer fits into our business model. May I suggest more live-action films about cute-talking dogs and singing high school kids? Those are doing gangbusters. Thankfully, this August, Universal Pictures bought and reopened the studio, though it is not known if they'll be producing any more performance capture pictures. Live-action is always a safer bet. The Zemeckis version, while not part of the official Disney animated classics canon, since it was not developed in-house, still begins and finishes with... (laughs) Path, a storybook opening and closing in the same vein as Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, and more recently, Enchanted. Stave 1, in which Marley was dead. The Zemeckis version is absolutely brimming with detail something brought to glorious life in HD and sadly wasted in blurry discoloration in 3D. It's the first thing that strikes you when watching and uh, an aspect that will stay with you long after. Image movers take their time with the characters as little facial movements and nuances are accentuated. Jim Carrey and Gary Oldman especially in this production have to be commended for their performances. They both veer into gurning pantomime a few times too often, but in contrast, they also deliver impassioned and subtle performances in their multiple roles. In the Henson version, we're introduced to a London where Muppets live alongside humans, with no distinction made among them between the two. Noticeably, there are no rich humans, as it's so much easier to caricature them with puppetry to both set the children at ease and satirise the obscene disparity between the classes. The snuff pigs at the beginning are the very same ones who appear near the end, sniggering over Scrooge's lonely demise. Appeal to many ages is a watchword of this Muppet production. It is thoroughly accessible, honest, and surprisingly accurate rendition of Dickens' tale, sticking to the classical wordplay and narrated by the great Gonzo as the author himself. Watching it as a parent now... With concerns for my own family, it was entirely different to watching it as a dependent teenager. But every time something new and delightful is revealed. Okay, so the next bit I'm going to talk about the plot. So, do you guys, uh, either of you, want to talk about like the first time you saw the Muppets, or like uh, sort of growing up with these this film more?
1: Just that I think this is perhaps my favourite Muppet movie of all of them, and that includes the ones that are just like you know the Muppet movie, Great Muppet hmm. uh, Great Muppet Caper, and what's what? the other one? Uh, Muppets, Take Manhattan. Well, yeah, th- out of, uh, all of them. This one is actually my favourite. Understandably
0: so. It's it's extremely. It's actually really tight. It's it's again reading the book. I was surprised at how faithful it was.
2: That was what struck me. Ha- reading the book after I'd watched the film again, it, it struck me how much of it I'd, already, I'd just seen in in the Muppet a Muppets film. For God's sake, it's a faithful adaptation of a Dickens book. <laughs> I just. Uh, obviously it had been a bit longer since I'd seen it than I thought I really wasn't expecting to be quite so faithful to the original novel mm. just in terms of the language it That's misses a few things out but it doesn't make crap up mm. yeah it, all it does is it, 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 it removes some stuff that, that mm. needs to be cut down I mean you, you have to take some, some things that will shorten things just to fit it into the length of the film but it doesn't replace anything really um other than obviously putting songs in which weren't in the original uh, novel, but it doesn't... Much to the detriment of the novel.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there goes Mr. Humbug, there goes Mr. Grimm. I'm, no, I just, I, this, this one's chock full of fantastic performances, I mean, and Kane. Michael Kane, who is so wonderful as Ebenezer mm. Scrooge, who's so enjoyable, and he knows... Now, often I say this towards B-movies, you know, when you say they know what movie they're in. He knows what movie he's in, and he just gets his performance spot on for for this movie. And he's a joy to watch. Absolutely a joy. I mean, I suppose one of the big changes is the fact that it's Statler and Waldorf being um, Jacob Marley. and Robert Marley. So there's <clears> two of them this time. But other than that, it's great fun.
0: And nah, he can sing. I'll- as well? Who, who knew? It's, it's fantastic watching him uh, sort of transform on screen. And also, it's so easy to get upstaged by the Muppets, and he manages not to be.
1: Hell, he manages to upstage the Muppets in some places. Several times. There's
0: also the fact that Michael Caine had been in some crap in the 80s. He had really kind of lost it at this point. He was in, like, was he Jaws 3 or Jaws 4?
1: Jaws 4. Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> As he's often said about that movie, I don't remember the film, but I remember the house it bought
0: nice okay fair enough but yeah he'd done some crap in the 80s so this was kind of a return to form it wasn't really until was it the Styder house rules that he got back into the public
1: eye I want to say yes I think so hmm. I think he got an Oscar for that one or something and let's yeah. not face it he's still relevant today in 2000 as Alfred oh, so, so bloody because let's face it in the first Batman movie he shines every time he's on screen he just steals every scene from Christian Bale which is not yeah. an easy task
0: yeah, he's he's not going to be upstaged by Muppets of any kind. No! <laughs> <laughs> no, he could kick my ass. Right. The plot. It would be ludicrous to listen to the rest of the show without having already seen or read this story yourself. But for those of you who need a refresher or have only ever watched the Bill Murray version from 1988, Scrooged... Don't knock that movie. He, not... But a lot of people have only seen that. Here is the plot of both the book and the faithfully rendered films. At the beginning, we meet Ebenezer Scrooge, a twisted, heartless miser of a bookkeeper and moneylender, depending on which version you're watching. His business partner and or partners, Jacob and or Robert Marley, Have been dead seven Christmas Eves, and after shooing away his exuberant nephew and some charitable gentlemen, and grudgingly allowing his clerk, with occasional rat assistance, to have tomorrow's Christmas Day off, he returns home to a meagre supper. He is visited by the ghost or ghosts of Marley, whose afterlife is a torment of captivity and regret, thanks to their selfish existence they led when alive, and warned that his own wicked ways have earned him a similar fate.' There is still time, however, to change it all around, and to guide him, he will be haunted by three spirits. Somewhat rattled, Scrooge retires to bed. I, d- I don't know any- anyone who wouldn't know this story, but uh, yeah, it's important that I do the plot. I can't just take it for granted.
3: Expect the first ghost with the belt one!
0: That
1: was terrible.
0: <laughs> I wasn't even trying to do Gonzo. The
1: Marleys were
0: dead to begin with. The Zemeckis version focuses a good deal of its running time on Scrooge's fear. It's highlighted by Bell later on, but he is a man who has atrophied himself against what he perceives as a grasping and greedy place filled with idle, lazy people and those who would take from him the coin from his hard day's work. It is a perversion of the work ethic hammered into him by a cold and distant father figure, an equally unfeeling headmaster, and years of struggling to make what he considers to be enough money to sustain him. The irony being that it is a non-specific amount, and any expenditure depletes it. So when the funeral merchant holds up his hand for a tip, Scrooge is disturbed and defensive, pausing for an age before paying him with a single coin. The Coffin Keeper even has the temerity to maintain his request beyond that single coin, so a second is grudgingly given. The follow-up is the pinching of the pennies from Marley's dead eyes, for, as Scrooge says, Duppence is Duppence. Unconsciously or not, our minds drift to Dick Van Dyke's aged banker, Mr. Dawes Senior, from the Dawes, Tomes, Mousley, Grubbs, Fidelity Fiduciary Bank in Mary Poppins. These mutton-chopped money men may be from the Edwardian times, 67 years after A Christmas Carol, but nothing has changed, and they're still blind to the suffering of the poor and uncaring of the social inequity they are sitting atop.
1: Sounds like today.
2: Yeah,
0: and again, it's, it's still socially relevant, Absolutely. Scrooge is clad in fingerless gloves which give his digits a skeletal grasping quality, but close observation of the other character shows us even more about him just from these gloves. Everyone in the snowy London streets is wearing full gloves or mitts, and yet Scrooge does not bear in the cold on his unprotected skin because it saves money on a second pair of gloves. They are a practical necessity. He wears them at work, as does Bob Cratchit, principally because it allows them both to write with quill and ink in extremely cold environments. Again, characterization through wardrobe and set he could pay for coal to warm them up and reduce the need for gloves of any kind but this solution is the meanest thriftiest possible way he can survive and work and by this he holds fast in all aspects of life inflicting his ideals on this poor clerk as well because as we find very quickly Scrooge has shut off his empathy and with that it's time for a song break and what could be more appropriate than the Muppets introduction to this fascinating and complex character (laughs)
4: The wind blows
5: and chills you, chills you to the bone But there's nothing in nature that freezes your heart like years of being alone It paints you with indifference like a lady paints with rouge And the worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed Is the one that we call Scrooge
6: Unkind as any, and the
5: wrap of many This is Ebenezer Scrooge Oh, there goes Mr. Humbug, there goes Mr. Grim if they gave a prize for being mean, the winner would be him. Old Scrooge, he loves his money because he thinks it gives him power. If he became a flavor, you can
3: bet he would be sour.
5: <laughs> Even the vegetables don't like him. There goes Mr.
3: Skinflips, there goes Mr. Greed.
5: The undisputed master of the underhanded deed. He charges folks a fortune for his dark and draughty houses. As poor folk live in misery,
3: (laughs) it's even worse for mouses. Hey sir, I want some cheese. He must be so lonely, he
5: must be so sad. He goes to extremes to convince
3: us he's bad. He's really a victim of fear and of pride. Look close and there must be a sweet man inside. Nah. Uh
5: -uh. There goes Mr. Outrage. There goes Mr. Sneer.
3: He has no time for friends or fun. His anger makes that clear. Don't
5: ask him for a favor cause his nastiness increases. A crust of bread for those in need. Oh, Jesus, for us, nieces. Scrooge liked the cold. He was hard and sharp as a flint, secret and self contained, as solitary as an oyster. There goes Mr. Heartless. There goes Mr. Fool. He never gives the only he takes. takes. He lets his hunger rule. work is getting worse
0: I've never heard humbug said bef- any time before or after a Christmas Carol uh, unless it's directly referring to a Christmas carol. yeah that don't I have. I wonder about that Jim Carey and Michael Caine play the role differently. Caine is straight-backed, cold and indifferent, and prone to fits of shouting when badgered. He's also fairly splendidly dressed when compared to the somewhat threadbare 09 version. Carey plays him hunched and crooked as a vulture, wizened and glaring, paranoid and spindly. He looks distinctly older as well, more creature than man, a vile thing and pitiable. There's a similar disparity between Gary Oldman and Kermit the Frog, and I never thought I'd be saying that line. As Bob Cratchit, both men are meek and warm, but Kermit is effectively playing a less sarcastic version of himself, while Oldman, in one of his rare, reined-in performances, plays Cratchit as a man clinging by his fingertips to this rotten job, forever putting a brave face on it for his family, but every bit the troubled working man hoping to just get by and see another Christmas without calamity. Oldman's Cratchit's task would, of course, be far easier if he also had a group of bookkeeping rats who steal the show in the Muppet version.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you please, Mr. Scrooge, it's gotten colder. Yeah. Any bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra shovel full of coal yeah. for the fire?
5: We
7: can't do the bookkeeping. Yeah, all of our pens have turned to inksicles. Yeah,
3: our assets are frozen. How would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly I like suddenly... This is my island
6: in the sun. Um, I believe you convinced them once again, Mr. Scrooge.
0: There is a key point to Scrooge's altercation with his nephew Fred in the Zemeckis version where we get a glimpse inside his dark heart. His admonishing the young man played by Colin Firth in this instance for marrying for love is of course drawing on Scrooge's own tragic past in which he let love pass him by in a pursuit of profit. He is now so estranged from feeling that the very notion of it baffles and disgusts him. You're
7: quite a powerful speaker, sir. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Don't be cross, Uncle. Come. Dine with us tomorrow. I'll see you in hell first. But why? Why so cold-hearted, Uncle? Why? Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love. Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing
5: of you. Why can't we be friends?
7: Good afternoon. I'm sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute. I've made the trial in homage to Christmas, and therefore, Merry Christmas, Uncle! Good afternoon, and a Happy New Year! Good afternoon!
0: Finally, in this first scene, we get Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker, or an almost unrecognisable Cary Elwes, as a portly, well-to-do gentleman collecting for the poor. The contrast of this jolly and rotund fellow giving up his own time and money versus Scrooge hoarding his wealth jealously and wasting away to emaciated wretchedness is a subtle implication that when you give of yourself, you are nourished by your deeds. It's what Scrooge should be doing with his life, and in many ways, these gentlemen are the first two spirits of possible opportunity. More music now, and it's Kermit himself with the wonderful One More Sleep.
5: With their employer gone at last, Bob Cratchit and the bookkeepers immediately began that most pleasant of activities, the celebration
6: of Christmas. He's gone! <laughs> gentlemen, let's close up for Christmas. Ooh. There's magic in the air, this evening, magic in the air. The world is at her best, you know, when people love and care. The promise of excitement is one the night will keep. After all, there's only one more sleep till Christmas. Gotta smile today, the world has gotta glow. There's no such thing as strangers when a stranger says hello. And everyone is family. We're having so much fun. After all, there's only one more sleep till Christmas.
5: Okay,
3: ready. Here we go. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs>
6: <laughs> That's it! Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, cool. mm-hmm. Very good, gentlemen. Just <laughs> a season to be jolly and joyous With a burst of pleasure we feel it arrive It's a season when the saints can employ us to spread the news about peace and to keep love alive. Hey, what's what's oh. that? Oh no. It's the Penguins' Christmas skating party. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why not? Merry
3: Christmas,
6: penguins! There's something in the wind today that's good for everyone. Yes, faith is in our hearts today. We're shining like the sun. And everyone can feel it. The feeling's running deep. After all, there's only one more sleep till Christmas. After all, there's only one more sleep. Till Christmas
0: Day. Hmm. When Scrooge returns to his lodging, both films emphasise the barred iron gate and the effective prison he has locked himself into to shut out the world. Even after his initial run with Marley at the door knocker, Scrooge could light the lamps and fires and bathe the house in warmth. But we need to see what a cold, dark existence he leads when not at work and how committed he is to attaining every penny, even at the cost of all comfort.
1: Well, even in the 09 uh, version, it shows you him walking up the stairs, and he doesn't walk on the carpet, because it would wear the carpet out. That's a great detail. I didn't even notice that. Well done. I think people may pass it off as uh, just because the portrayal of Ebenezer in that one is is a very old. You might think, oh, he's just using the banister, but if you watch, he's, he's doing it not to step on this plush red carpet that he has in the middle of the stairs.
0: I mean, actually, Sharon mentioned this while we were uh, watching it. That uh, a modern-day retelling without the least bit of Christmas theme is actually as good as it gets. Has anyone seen that? No. Jack Nicholson is an equally ah, old that's right. Story. but <laughs> there you go. Uh, but he's um, he's OCD, which uh, you know you you could say that Scrooge is as well.
1: Mm, I'll have to take your word for it, and having never watched the movie, Marley's ghost, or indeed ghosts
0: are a point of contention. I've read the book and seen five versions of the scene recently, and not one of them strikes the balance perfectly. The Muppets have a good reason, as they're playing often to very little kids. Lyra is nonetheless still freaked out by Steffler and Waldorf. Their song, while creepy, is also bouncy and fun, and an excellent way to convey the message to kids without frightening the life out of them. The Zemeckis version, however, veers crazily between utterly terrifying with haunting imagery, dramatic scoring, and screaming intensity of performance by Oldman, with mistimed and unfunny comedy regarding his unhinged jaw. There are only a few times this happens, but it's enough to leave you wondering what it would have been like if just played straight.
1: Yeah, the whole jaw thing bugged the hell out of me. It's
0: like,
1: Mm. it's like, oof. Yeah, wrong. You shouldn't have gone for that. I think they did it because they went, "Oh, we've been a bit dark for the past five minutes. We'll, yeah. we'll throw some humour in."
0: Yeah, it's it's odd. It's like you know, we make we make you cringe in your seat, and then we make you laugh, and well, then we make you cringe again. So
1: the the actual one, I suppose, I like, and we're not this movie's not in the list, but you mentioned in it is one of my probably my second favorite adaptation of the Christmas Carol is is the Scrooged, uh, the yeah. little Murray one. I quite like the his boss in that one. All right, it's not Marley, but. There's a good a good balance in that one of comedy and the horror that uh, Bill Murray's character is is going yeah. through at that point.
0: Yeah, he is actually pretty terrifying. Uh, I, I remember seeing that when I was a young lad, and there's a bit where a mouse pushes a, pushes a golf ball out of his head. That's uh, hilarious. Just, it's hilarious, but I was like, oh my God!
1: Please, that is not the frightening one from that movie. The frightening mm-hmm. one is the ghost of Christmas future in that movie.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said, so saw Scrooge recently, really still like, like that film a lot. It's good. Very 80s and better for it because that was the years of shoulder pads and executives and Wall Street.
1: And greed. So, yeah, it's yeah. very, very good.
0: Oh, uh, have you guys ever seen that uh, Quantum Leap episode, A Little Miracle? Possibly, but it's not
1: springing to mind
0: similar wicked um, industrialist New York and Sam is butler and uh, manages to get Al to uh, pretend to be a ghost. Uh, shows him sort of glimpses of his past. Love Quantum Go to Quantum leap Show. Here are and Waldorf with the Marley and Marley song. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, look! Mm. It's Ebenezer Scrooge! Oh. Looking older and more wicked than ever. I knew he wouldn't disappoint us! <laughs> Who are you? In life, we were your partners, Jacob and Robert Marley.
7: It looks like you,
5: but I don't believe it. Why do you
7: doubt your senses? Because a little thing can affect them. A slight disorder of the stomach can make them cheat. You may be a bit of undigested beef, a blob of mustard, <laughs> a crumb of cheese. Yes, yes. There's more of gravy than of grave about you. Oh,
5: more of gravy than of grave. What a terrible pun. Where do you get those jokes? Leave comedy to the bears, Ebenezer. Please,
7: Jacob. Robert, don't criticize me. You always criticize me.
5: We were always heckling you. It's good to be heckling again. It's good to be doing anything again.
7: Why do you come to me? We're Marley
5: and Marley, avarice and greed. We took advantage of the poor, just ignored the needy. We specialized in causing pain, spreading fear and doubt. And if you... We simply threw you (laughs) out. There was the year we evicted the entire orphanage. Mm, I remember the little kites all standing in the snowbank with their little frostbitten teddy bears. (laughs) 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 We're Marley and Marley. Our hearts were painted black. We should have known our evil deeds Would put us both in shackles Captive bound, we're double iron Exhausted by the weight As freedom comes from killing laws, So oh, prison comes with hate We're Marley and Marley We're Marley and Marley
7: But well, my friends, you were not unfeeling towards your fellow men
5: True! There was something about mankind we loved. I think it was their money. <laughs> Doom, Scrooge. You're doomed for all time. Your future is a horror story written by your crime. Your chains are forced by what you say and do. So have your fun when life is
3: a
7: nightmare for you! <laughs> what are these terrible chains? Uh,
5: the chains! We forge these chains in life by our acts of greed! You wear such a chain yourself! Humbug! Speak
7: comfort to me, friends!
3: Comfort, sir. Uh, You will
5: be haunted by three
7: spirits! Haunted? I've already had enough of that.
5: Without these visits, you cannot hope to avoid the path we tread. Expect the first ghost tonight, when the bell tolls one.
7: Can't I meet them all at once and get it over with?
5: When the bell tolls one. We're Barley
7: and Barley.
5: We're Barley and Barley.
0: Stave 2, The Light of the Past. The first of the three spirits is the Ghost of Christmas Past, portrayed with ethereal beauty in the Muppet version using a technique that was very popular for ghosts in the 80s films, whereby a puppet draped in flowing cloth was filmed underwater and then projected onto the image of the film. It's something that has most likely coloured 30 to 40-somethings of our generation's viewpoint on what ghosts might be like. Anyone name any films that this technique was used in?
1: I'll guess a big one. Ghostbusters the library ghost specifically ah yeah 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 you can see it in that one anyone? because it's very flowy yeah.
0: very flowy uh, anyone else
1: ghost maybe um,
0: no actually they were, everyone, all ghosts were kind of down to earth in that no um raiders of the lost ark where they open the ark and all the uh, the angels yeah. come out yep uh, P- poltergeist that's the huge one huge use of that one now it's interesting that in Pol- poltergeist music by jerry goldsmith if you listen to the music, I'll play a bit now from uh, from this scene. It actually sounds evocative of Poltergeist. The Zemeckis version of The Ghost of Christmas Past is played by Jim Carrey himself and resembles a lit candle in the darkness with a bizarre, breathy Irish accent. The Ghost, in both cases, takes Scrooge back in time for 50 years, and they fly over London, and then a snowy country landscape. Now, since this wasn't in the book, we can conclude that the Zemeckis version was paying homage to the Muppets, or even an earlier version. This version of the film is like that at many times, incorporating many elements from previous Christmas carols into a faithful, ultimate version, and bringing its own epic zooming in to remain distinct, more on the zooming later. Fans of Donnie Darko may recognize a liquid spear effect emanating from the spirit's flame, implying that he is taking Scrooge on a path determined by outside forces. That very movie referenced the Back to the Future, and there are very similar beats in this of going back and forth through time and changing dark futures for the good, though these are but shadows of things that have been, as the spirit says. They have no consciousness of us. They are what they are. Do not blame me." This is remarkably forward-thinking on Dickens' part. Stories of time travel really weren't in huge abundance in those days. Another aspect is the self-analysis Scrooge goes through, especially in the Zemeckis version where each of the spirits is played by Carey himself. There's a strong argument that these are his own inner demons that Scrooge is wrestling with, or certainly that by virtue of his perceptions, they are reflections of himself. His wishful nostalgia for the past buried deep in the crypt of his mind, his dormant longing to embrace the world he sees in the present, ever held back by fear, and his most terrifying nightmares of the future in a world that does not mourn his passing. This, you must bear in mind, it was a full 40 years before Sigmund Freud developed the first steps of what we now understand of modern psychology. There are two key figures in Scrooge's past, both female, both shortchanged by the Muppets. His sister Fan is entirely absent and represents both the happy child he could have been and the happy adult he could have become. Her legacy the exuberant and kind-hearted Fred reminds Scrooge so much of his beloved sister that it hurts him to be in the young man's company that emotion and empathy cannot exist in a body and soul so cold to the troubles of the world bell whom he meets as a young man represents the life he could have had if his choices and pursuits had been different in fact, a rarely adapted but crucial moment from the book, absent from both of these productions, shows us an adult Bell married to a good man with the boisterous litter of children. This is a bitter window into what he is missing right now, but also the stirrings of paternal longing which come into play heavily with Tiny Tim later on. Robin White Penn's performance as Belle in the Zemeckis version is short but staggeringly powerful. She brings the regret and resignation of her character, Queen Weltho, in Beowulf, and adapts it into this character masterfully with soulful elegance.
8: Another idol has replaced me.
5: Another idol? What idol?
8: A golden one.
5: There is nothing... On this earth, more terrifying to me than a life doomed to poverty. May I ask, why do you condemn with such severity the honest pursuit of substance?
8: You fear the world too much, Ebenezer. You've changed.
5: Changed? Perhaps grown wiser. But I have not changed toward you.
8: Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so. When it was made, you are another man. I was a. Oh! I release you, Ebenezer.
7: Have I ever sought release?
8: In words, no. In what then? In an altered spirit. In another atmosphere of life. In everything that made my love of any worth in your sight. Tell me, Ebenezer, if this contract had never been between us, would you seek me out now? Ah, no.
7: You think not?
8: I would gladly think otherwise if I could. But if you were free today, would you choose a dowerless girl? a girl left penniless by the death of her parents? You who weighs everything by gain? I release you, Ebenezer. May you be happy in the life you've chosen.
4: Spirit. Remove me from this, place.
5: I told you, these were shadows of things that have been. They are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me, I cannot bear it.
0: The Muppets leave out Scrooge's little sister and Bella's on screen for all of three rushed lines. In fact, the whole production seems geared towards not looking too closely at those that are now dead or gone in Scrooge's past. Never more clearly represented than by the omission of a key song from the theatrical version. When Love Is Gone, sung by Meredith Braun's Bell, is a sad acceptance of the demise of a relationship she's dreamed would come to fruition for years. This was cut by executives, damn them, because they didn't want to bring the audience down, despite the fact that at this stage they were supposed to be. It's vital to see what Scrooge has lost in the years since his hopeful youth and the onset of obsession with the acquisition of funds. It's such a curiously displayed obsession as well, since he does not spend any of the money and cares not what others think of him. The father he is constantly trying to appease is within him, the ghost of a long-dead patriarch. The song is made all the more poignant by Michael Caine joining in at the end as Scrooge's heart is reached and he finally confronts his life-changing mistake.
3: There was a time when I was sure That you and I were truly one That our future was. Forever And would never come undone And we came so close To being close And though you cared for me There's distance in your eyes tonight So we're not meant to be The love is gone That you have ever... Perfect life can be But adventure calls With unknown voices Pulling you away Be careful or you may regret time has come for us to say goodbye. Yes, some dreams come true, and yes, some dreams fall through, and yes, the time has come. (laughs)
0: <laughs> it's even reprised at the close with the upbeat flip side the love we found robbed of much of its impact by the absence of that earlier song this decision upset brian henson greatly as he and the rest of the production team knew how important it was as well nevertheless the song was cut but reinserted into the home video and laser disc versions throughout the 90s only to be cut again for the theatrical dvd Now, there's a version you can get in America where it's got both the widescreen and pan and scan versions. The widescreen one's the theatrical one, so it's cut and doesn't have the song. And the pan and scan one's the, I think they call it the the home video one, so it's got the song in it. So you can never see the song in widescreen. It's not allowed. To this day, fans of the films are baffled with this treatment, and I fully expect the long-awaited Blu-ray version to be cut as well. It's easier, by the way, if you're watching the uh, theatrical version, just to pause it and find the scene on YouTube. That way you don't have to change which version you're watching. On a side note, when Dickens wrote the character of Fezziwig, it's almost as if he knew Fozzie Bear would someday play him, giving us the best pun in cinematic history. Fozziewig. Stave 3. The Warmth of the Present The Ghost of Christmas Present is played very differently depending on which version you watch. In The Muppets, he is a jolly giant, spreading joy and laughing heartily. The Zemeckis version, again, sees an almost unrecognisable Jim Carrey, affecting a northern accent, and playing the ghost as a booming, godlike, and rather disconcerting apparition, entirely accurate to the book. His laughter doesn't seem to come from genuine mirth, and certainly not malice, but almost as though he is compelled to laugh, as though laughing is as easy but also as essential to him as breathing. Accompanying that with a towering, glittering, slightly off-key version of Christmas, as viewed from the eyes of a tiny child, and you have a version of this key moment that at last manages to capture the epic scale and otherworldly presence of the text. Despite this, Scrooge actually starts to enjoy himself, living vicariously through the Christmas revelers he has so long ignored. Again, the Zemeckis version achieves this through zooming, and the Muppets achieve this through song.
5: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
7: it's in the singing of a street corner choir.
5: It's going home and getting warm by the fire. It's true wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas. A cup of kindness that we share with a lover, a sweet reunion with a friend or a brother. In all the places you find love, it feels like Christmas. It is the season of the heart A special time of caring The ways of love made clear It, it is, is the, season the season of the spirit the, the, message, the message you we hear it Is make it last on here.
6: It's in the giving of a gift
3: A pair of mittens that were made by your mother. It's all the
5: ways that we show love that feel like Christmas. A part of
7: childhood will always remember. It is the summer of the soul in December. Yes, when you do your best for love, it feels like Christmas.
5: It is the season of the heart, a special time of caring. The ways of love
3: make clear.
5: It's the season
6: of the spirit. The message, if we hear it, is make it
7: last all year. It's in the singing of
5: a street corner choir. It's going home and getting warm by the fire. It's true wherever you find love. It feels like Christmas. It's true wherever you find love. It feels like
3: Christmas. It feels like Christmas. It feels like Christmas. <laughs>
1: Both do a really good, good in their own right of portraying that the the joy that Scrooge feels when uh, in the Zemekis version, zooming through the city and getting a view for that time that nobody else would ever get, which mm. is very clever. And obviously, the Muppets do. Muppets, when it comes to songs, are fantastic, so they do a really good job of communicating that through the joy of the music. Mm. Absolutely.
0: When we see the Cratchits, be it the cosy Muppet version or the grimly realistic Zemeckis version, which, by the way, really put my daughter off. She was expecting Miss Piggy and Kermit, and when she got them, they're, they're it's dark, it's dingy, they're really realistic-looking in that they've got rotten teeth and potched skin, and <laughs> they look awkward, and it, you know, like I say, it's realistic.
1: Painfully realistic. I, I, it's hard to get past the whole Miss Piggy one. That's so brilliant. This piggy is a housewife. Come on, think about that for a second.
6: I wasn't eating the chestnuts, I was only chucking them.
2: <laughs> it's a shift
0: When we see the Cratchits, be it the cosy Muppet version or the grimly realistic Zemeckis version, Scrooge finally gets to know the clerk who's worked for him for so many years. The two things that reach him the most, aside from their meagre meal so long and eagerly awaited, are the dedication of the feast to his good self by Bob, and the resultant outrage from Emily, underlining how generous of heart Bob is even after years of mean treatment, and of course, the Cratchits' youngest, smallest and purest, Tiny Tim. Never has innocence been so ably epitomized in so short a time by this sickly yet joyful child.
5: Life is full of sweet surprises. Every day's a gift. The sun comes up and I can feel it lift. My spirit fills me up with laughter, fills me up with song. I look into the eyes of love and know that I belong. Bless us all who gather here, the loving
6: family I hold dear. No place on earth compares with home, and every path will bring me back from where I roam.
5: Bless us all, that as we live, we always come forth. And for you we have so much that we can share with those in need we see around us everywhere. Let us always love
3: each other, lead us to the light,
5: let us hear the voice
3: of reason singing in the
6: night, let us run from anger, and catch us when we fall,
5: teach us in our dreams,
6: and please,
5: yes
4: please, bless bless us one and and
3: all,
4: bless us all.
5: With noisy games and joyful tears We reach for
6: you and we stand tall And in our prayers and dreams we ask you bless us all
5: We reach for you and we stand tall
0: This is the guided missile to the heart that Dickens has been cooking up in this entire story, aimed squarely at those who would ignore the children at the bottom of the pile, that is, society. Those that cannot work or protect themselves. Tim's wide-eyed wonder at Christmas and fragile body, as portrayed here, effectively saved thousands of lives. This book was the jumpstart for many charitable causes, and wealthy people became philanthropists as a result of it. Following or preceding the Cratchits, depending on which version you're watching, is a brief jaunt to Fred's house. Now, while his mischievous game of 20 questions pokes fun at the old git, that's not the point of the scene. The point that the Muppets production missed is that afterwards Fred defends Scrooge and pledges that he will ask him over, even though Ebenezer will always refuse every Christmas hence. The nephew's unflagging solidarity needs to be seen here so that we know both how loving the man is, even with no return, and so that we see that Scrooge understands that. Following this is, by the way, did you notice that Clara, his uh, wife, is um, Simon's mum in the in us?
1: Was it me, or did, was he purposely made to look like um, Jesus Christ?
0: You mean as he was sort of... Uh,
1: well, no, th- right? it's, um, his appearance is very... is almost like jesus Jesusy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say fat Jesus, but that's just not going to go down well, is it? Jesus. Well, no, he's wearing the crown. Instead of a crown of thorns, Jesus. He's wearing, well, if you look at him, he's got the crown of. Um, I want to say Holly. Yeah, uh, and he's got the long hair and the long flowing beard, mm-hmm. it, and robes. Maybe I'm just anyone that thought that.
2: Ow. Um. I, well, I did, I did. I didn't have that thought myself, but. Uh... Okay. I, I, I will I, say there are
0: quite a few pagan leanings in this, and uh, there there was some there was secular humanism at the core of it, where uh, specifically that Dickens was trying to wrest control of Christmas away from the church because at this stage, which Christmas is actually what back.
1: is mentioned in the Zemekis movie, where the ghosts of yeah. cr- Christmas present set. He says something about these men of the cloth, doesn't he? And I can't remember what he said. Uh,
0: he doesn't say these men of the cloth, uh, but he, he is implying that anybody who goes around saying something in the Lord's name to serve their own ends, judge them by their crimes, not us.
1: That was actually a good Northern accent. See, Jim Carrey can do a Northern accent. Russell Crowcott. Yeah, better than an Irish
0: one, <laughs> anyway. It's uh, <yes>. a... <laughs> oh, yeah, and I, like I said, it's. I, I was watching it the first time I watched it. I was like, "Is that
1: Gerard Butler?"
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs>
1: Stop
0: it. It's not inconceivable.
2: Um, I thought the particularly the Muppets. I thought they did a very good job of of uh, making um, the the Ghost of Christmas Present look both true to the original description and also very Muppet like. Um, it, it, I don't know. It seemed it seemed less Muppet-like than than other Muppets. It seemed, it seemed more human somehow. And yet, all you look at it, and it is undeniably a Muppet. You can't escape the fact that it is clearly a Muppet.
0: Hmm. But it's like more like one of
2: them. those Sesame Street guys. Yeah, it, it's it still manages to be incredibly human at the same time, which I thought I thought actually did a very good job of that. Yeah. Although, why they made him so absent-minded, I don't know. It
0: was kind of the hook for him because they had to take out all of the uh, the rep- reprimanding that he does of Scrooge because he's got to be the friendly one to win the kids back before the Ghost of Christmas oh, Future. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they replaced it with the fact that he keeps forgetting himself.
2: your well, man, know me better, man. So suppose it's supposed to be a, f- a funny film at the end of the day. So uh, whereas the, in the book certainly it's mm. not that it's not particularly comedic in the slightest.
0: Yeah, no, that uh, also a disconcerted Lyra. She was. Uh, You know, because she wanted to see the funny jolly giant. And he's like, look upon me. Following this is another scene omitted from the Muppet version because of the dark confusion it would cause kids. The children of the sins of man, ignorance and want. Again, it's a message to the people reading. Ignore these children and London will end up teeming with criminals and wastrels. For nothing good can come of neglect. It's a harsh point in a terrifying scene in the Zemeckis version, possibly made more disconcerting by the ghost laughing as he wastes away to skeletal ruin on the stroke of midnight. Mm -hmm. Stay 4, The Shadow of the Future as the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come makes his appearance, the Zemeckis version makes its one true stumble. It's not story-breakingly so, but this sequence is the weakest in the production with a roller coaster series of chases that ironically derail the narrative. Clearly attempting to justify the lavish budget and enormous 3D scale, the filmmakers throw everything at you, including moments of Scrooge being pursued by a ghost in a spectral carriage, dreamed up entirely for this rendition, and a nonsensical moment in which he shrunk in order to spy on Mrs. Dilber, his housekeeper, and old Joe, played here by Bob Hoskins, who also played Fezziwig, but performed far better by a Muppet spider. Because we're not being distracted by another pointless action sequence where he tries to clobber a rat with a poker and nearly squashes the eavesdropping
1: Ebenezer. Yeah, that 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 sequence is so out of place in the Zemeckis movie and just annoying. I'm sat there going, "Oh yeah, this was in 3D, wasn't it?" Mm. Yeah, it's it's the you know most of that movie was you know that wasn't an issue, but that moment was like. Oh, yeah, this was in 3D, wasn't it? And it's so clearly there because this movie was in 3D. Mm.
0: It's fruit-caking the screen.
2: Mm. I mean, it's, it's taken, taken by itself. There's nothing particularly wrong. I mean, it, it, it looks good and the animation's very good, but it doesn't... It, it's a kind of... There's comedic bits in there where he's sort of uh, riding a, an icicle. There's mm. a sort a, of a, uh, sledge. Down a roof or whatever, or down a street or whatever it is, um, and it just seems to be, yeah, it's kind of been taken to fill a fill a, a requirement, a, a, a line <laughs> tick a up, box, a list of things Yeah, to tick a box. Yeah. It seems to be there purely to tick a couple of boxes. I hadn't really thought about the whole three D thing, but yeah, now yeah, that's going to really really was. Designed entirely to showcase 3D uh, yeah. but it's also to, to give everyone a bit of a laugh to, to yeah, so lift it up a little bit and, and add a bit of comedy in there and uh, yeah I've, I've got, I've, it's not offensive in any way shape or form but it doesn't really it doesn't fit that neatly certainly
0: mm. it's dull especially once you've seen it once it's too
2: long. I've, yeah I've only good. seen it once but it, yeah. it, it, it's probably it went on a bit too long
0: and it's pointless. Scrooge is already scared out of his wits at this point, so what's what's the point of scaring him more?
2: And you don't need to shrink him down to see people, because he's already been invisible to
0: a number yeah. of people. Uh, you can't, I just <laughs> can't imagine Dickens writing it and going, and then he slid on an icicle, and then he fell down a roof, and then he screamed, and then he ran through the streets. <laughs> just, yeah, this will entertain the masses.
1: Yeah, and considering no, who the... I personally think the ghost of Christmas future is, and it's hard to miss, death. Absolutely. And,
0: and uh, yeah, the the abiding image of the Grim Reaper has has been harnessed by the Ghost of Christmas Future. Which, when I was a kid, I was always like, so is that just everyone's future is just death?
1: It's definitely... Yeah, it's a strange choice. But I think that... I think the Ghost... uh, Scrooge's Ghost of Christmas Future has to be almost death-like or death himself because that's what is Scrooge's future. It's all his fears made manifest. Yeah. Yes... I've always believed Do- that the ghost of Christmas future is death, <laughs> to be honest. So, Or a, a shadow of him, at least. Especially in any telly-tell, because of this character's cold-heartedness and his greed, that he basically dies and no one really cares. In fact, more than anything, if they don't care, they make him a
2: joke. It's probably the one constant through all adaptations of A Christmas Carol, pretty much. Or certainly the vast majority is, is the, the overall look of the ghost of Christmas yet to come.
0: Yeah, they don't mess with that.
2: Pretty much every single one, it's just it's just a, a black robe and cowl.
0: Oh, man. I saw the Patrick Stewart version of this, 1999 TV version, and it seemed like by the at this point, they just ran out of budget. So it's a guy in that clothes, um, but with a stick. And he's holding a stick, uh, and the, the stick is propping up a hood to make him look taller with Jawa eyes inside. It looks cheap and
1: rubbish. I quite like the the um, one that they used in Scrooged. Especially because yeah. you get that scene where he um, actually looks inside the robe mm. and isn't the, his head or his face almost like a television screen in that At
2: one, one point it is, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: That was an interesting take on him, it, it, especially because it fitted the story so well. I think the only bit that annoys me in Scrooge is when
0: he looks into the future and sees, I can't remember her name, but Marion Ravenwood in, um what? what Karen
5: Allen's
0: character Joan Allen yeah Joan Allen (laughs) Allen. (laughs) Uh, and it's like she's um she's at dinner talking to her friends and she's gone all yuppified and she's like you know somebody told me look after yourself and I I can only interpret that as what's Bill Murray's character's name
1: I can't remember. because it's, it's not uh, Scrooge. Frank
0: Cro- Cross, it is Cross. Yeah. Uh, there's Cross's interpretation of how he's led her. Because there's no way that that character would become like that person. It's j- it's all in Cross's head.
2: Yeah. Although well, the other thing that annoys me is the fact that you've got a really white face and slightly yellow teeth. <laughs> the
0: yeah. really weird so you're make white,
2: of choice. You face that much? Could you not have done something to her teeth? <laughs> <laughs> I think they tried to
0: make <laughs> her look more unappealing. It's like Cameron, We're just going to paint your teeth yellow. Is that right? Um, For the film? Yeah, why not? (laughs) There are four sequences before this stave where the enormity is accentuated with zooming around the place, all of which are interpreting passages Dickens wrote and feeding them to an audience raised from Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Like Middle Earth, they're selling us London as a world. The shadowy future sequences, however, are overkill and once seen are best ignored, which is never good for any film. The Muppet version, in contrast, is stoic and quiet, with Scrooge merely observing the sad events and the contrast between those affected so little by his death and so much by that of Tiny Tim. It is indeed so measured that Gonzo and Rizzo even say they are taking leave of us for a while in order to leave the audience unprotected by their warm humour and instead gripped by the powerful effects of these little deaths. The Zemeckis version at least retains the corpse of Scrooge in the chamber, which he is so terrified to look upon, and the couple filled with relief that his passing has spared them eviction. Those are, again, key moments too dark for The Muppet Show, but essential to a version designed to be enjoyed by older viewers. As such, these two films work in tandem perfectly, with both displaying great strengths and few weaknesses. The most heart-wrenching moments come, of course, at the Cratchit household, where the family mourns the loss of Tiny Tim. Both of these scenes play out perfectly, with different levels of intensity. Oldman's grief is so powerful and heartfelt that as he stares into space on the way up the stairs to sit beside Tim, he inadvertently gazes into Scrooge's eyes, who in a strangled cry murmurs the name Bob. I didn't catch that until the most recent time I saw it. That's the fourth time it took. It is at this point that his empathy is found again, and the true nature of this journey is clear. The Graveside is in both versions an exclamation point at the end of this harsh lesson. It's not that Scrooge is afraid of dying. He's afraid of everything. But having seen how valued a person can be who gave only love, he is left wretched and ashamed that he who has so much that could help so many has squandered his life away even while he saved. Eagle-eyed viewers will notice that the horror of standing over one's own grave is mirrored in Back to the Future Part 3 with poor Doc Brown.
1: Marty, don't stand there! Marty, please don't stand there!
0: (laughs) And if you do the maths with the writing on the stone, Scrooge is only 57 years old. A sad, lonely wraith of what a man his age could be, now begging for the chance to use what little time he has left to live for others. Stave 5. Christmas Day.
2: What's
4: today, my fine fellow?
3: Today? What Christmas Day?
4: It's Christmas Day! I haven't missed it... The spirits have done it all in one night.
0: They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. <laughs> Hello, my fine fellow. Do you know the poultry is on the corner?
3: I should hope I did.
0: <laughs> what an intelligent boy!
5: Do <laughs> you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging there? Not the little prize turkey,
2: the big one.
3: The one as big as me? <laughs> what a delightful <life> <laughs> Yes, my book It's hanging there now.
5: Is it? Go and buy it then
3: walker
5: no no I'm in earnest go and buy it bring it back here and I'll give you a shilling
7: come back in less than five minutes and I'll give you a half a crown
2: I'll send it to Bob he shan't know who sent it It's twice the size of Tiny Tim.
0: (laughs) In the same way that wandering storytellers would visit rich lords and tell the tales of generous rich lords who became so much happier the day they gave a little back, Dickens ensures that this story crux point comes on Christmas morning. It is demonstrated time after time that the invigorated Scrooge, overjoyed with the simple opportunity to change his behaviour, something we are all blessed with on a daily basis, is made merrier and more fulfilled by the sharing of his long-hoarded fortune in one day than by the decades of lost time spent acquiring it. Scrooge is the embodiment of winter, a bare tree now brought back to vibrant life by the advent of a long overdue spring. One moment the Muppets nail is the simple act of Scrooge receiving a gift. After pledging to the poor with astonishing generosity, Beaker gives him his own little red Muppet sized scarf, which Scrooge wears for the rest of the film. It's an easily digestible do unto others message, and Kane's reaction of surprise and gratitude is genuinely touching. So, too, is his song of thankful heart. It's always nice to hear actors singing their own songs, especially when it's obvious they can't sing very well, but at least they're trying. In this case, since Scrooge is exercising muscles of well being he hasn't flexed in decades, it's oddly fitting.
7: With a thankful heart, with an endless joy, with a growing family, every girl and boy will be nephew and niece to me. Nephew and niece to me. Will bring love, hope, and peace to me. Love, hope, and peace to me. Yes, and every night will end, and every day will start with a grateful. Smile and with open doors, I will bid you welcome. What is mine is yours with a glass raised to toast your health. With a glass raised to toast your health, and a promise to share the wealth. Promise to share the wealth. I will sail a friendly course, file a friendly chart on a sea of love and a thankful heart. Life is like a journey. Who knows when it ends? Yes, and if you need to know the measure of a man You simply count his friends Stop and look around you The glory that you see Is born again each day Don't let it slip away How precious life can be Heart that is wide awake. I do make this promise every breath I take will be used now to sing your praise, to sing your praise. and to beg you to, share my day. beg you to share my day with a loving guarantee that even if we part, I will hold you close in a thankful heart. I will hold you close in a thankful heart.
1: Look, I can't sing, so I'm not going to take them to castle one else.
0: Neither can I. Like I said, stick me on camera. I just, I, I, again, like Mark Kermode, I hate it when like, Marianne Cotillard comes on stage and lets someone else do her, uh, Edith Piaf for her. So I, well, I can do the acting, hair and teeth, hair and teeth, but I can't do the singing. I'd much rather see someone who can't sing try their best than someone who can't sing not bother.
1: Especially in this one, because it would have been so different if it have been someone else uh you know sort of singing to Michael Kane because it wouldn't work because it's it's all part of the journey mm. in this movie. Mm. you know the songs are such an integral part that the point is is this, is is this is his joy finally showing through showing through in his heart, and so he sings it doesn't matter if it's good or not, it has to be him singing it because it's it's the sh- showment uh, of his joy
0: yeah, also it wouldn't have fooled the kids. Yeah, true. You know, we've listened to his voice so much and enough that if someone had s- sort of sounded a bit like Michael Kane's song, and he was just clearly lip syncing to it, the kids would have gone, that's not him, and there'd have been a disconnect there.
2: Yeah. Well, he had, he had, that had to be a song, because it would have, yeah. if he just said it, if it had just been you know, normal speech in, in the script, mm. it wouldn't have fit with the rest of the film.
0: Well, ultimately, Disney, in Disney films, songs come at a time of uprising emotion.
2: So, exactly. that was, like, his... The song had to be moment. that. Yeah. Who else does the song? Who sings about... You know, it's got to be Scrooge that, that tells people about yeah. how he's how he's changed, so...
0: Yeah. Couldn't just be Gonzo singing, Oh, Scrooge is fine now. The Zemeckis version sees Scrooge first of all skitching, which almost certainly remains a nod to Marty McFly's antics in Back to the Future, and then he goes to dinner with his nephew at long last. This is a key element of the book that has Scrooge reconnect with what family he has left. The Muppets, however are what the kids came to see so while Fred is present though not his wife Clara for some reason Scrooge sits down to a turkey dinner with the Cratchits also managing to incorporate his punking of Bob from the epilogue and nearly coming a cropper to an angry pig (laughs)
1: <laughs> Nearly go Hiya.
0: Nearly. yeah Nearly. In fact, that was the moment that she would have done it. The end of the Zemeckis version actually features a turn to the camera and a direct addressing of the audience from Bob, embodying Dickens, and a correction of the always annoying Tiny Tim who did not die line to simply Tiny Tim who got better with less implication of some immortal child. I personally love this final moment as we get to see Bob genuinely smiling and happy, possessing of otherworldly knowledge and brimming with the Christmas
1: spirit. That bit annoyed me. You didn't like it? It's just the fact that, you know, we've... Uh, throughout the movie, it's it's not really felt too much of the need to have a character address you, in mm. that sense, and then you have that moment. Whereas the Muppets made the wiser choice to have sort of Gonzo as Dickens sort of taking us through the story. Oh, well, yeah. Well, that, in fact, yeah, yeah that's- well...
2: That's why it was necessary for uh, Bob Cricket to, to break the fourth wall right at the end, because otherwise you'd have had to have a, a hitherto unknown narrator do it. It mm. had to be there. Who do you get to do it if not if not Bob?
0: To me, it's almost more like uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, and he, he turns around and he's puck and he's addressing the audience and saying, you know, um, there, there is a postscript to this story. Um, good
1: things happened. I think that's why, you know, the Muppets version has the whole Gonzo being Dickens narrating the story. And Rizzo the rat who just steals scenes, which is awesome. When we watched the O nine version, Lyra asked,
0: Where's Charles Dickens? Because <laughs> she'd she really liked the fact that Gonzo was uh, uh, driving a. Um, but we haven't really talked about Rizzo. I mean, he's effectively comic relief in a comedy. Um,
1: but well, uh, not annoying and very funny. Yeah. And it was Christmas Eve. Night was falling, and the lamplighters were plying their trade.
5: Hey, 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 light the lamp, not the rat, light the lamp, not the Oops, rat!
3: My what apologies! Put, uh, me out, put me, out, um, put me uh, out, put me out, put me out, put me out, put me out! What hell? <laughs> what? Oh. 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 Oh.
6: Thank you. You're welcome.
0: Light the lamp, not the rat,
6: light the lamp, not the rat!
0: <laughs> Thank you for making me a part of this. <laughs> I had 944 brothers and sisters.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, is it when they go to the past? He gets chased by the cat.
2: oh yes. <laughs> to be honest, uh, that's Charlie it. Had to have Gonzo is, as as uh, Charles Dickens yeah. purely as an excuse to have Rizzo the rat as anything. Yes, yeah, <laughs> needed a reason to put that rat in there. I guess. And uh, thank God they did. I, I, that's pretty much it from from what
0: I have on the yeah. uh, film. So, you know, if there's anything I missed out, go ahead at this point
1: if you want a fantastic fun family take on the christmas carol get the muppets if you want a trip into the uncanny valley get the 2009 version we still haven't convinced you i look the acting is is really good in the 2009 version the music Mm. is really good we know the story is really good but i could alan
0: silvestri by the way who uh, has been on gonzo in both predator and back to the future form
1: but the look and the style of the movie, I I couldn't get past. It was bugging me. the The uncanny valleyness of of the movie was just just really took me out of it. So as much as I enjoyed it, if you're going to give me, I would I'd recommend the Muppets version. I really would because yeah. the, you know and the other thing I have to point out is both versions of the movie made London seem quite clean because it's not <laughs> been as pristine as white as it is shown in either one of these movies.
0: Well. To, to be fair, it is snowing. <laughs> it's snowing in London. It's too white. It's
1: Where's snowing. The slash? No, it's snowing in a city that has millions of coal fires and soot and smog. You, well, with this Mecca's version, they do make a nod to the fact you know you see chimney sweeps briefly, which is quite funny because if you actually watch, he cleans one chimney and shakes his brush into the other.
2: Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> 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 giving himself a bit of work to do later, I guess. You know, <laughs> oh, been here two
1: hours. But the thing is, you know, they don't really show... I, 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 honestly, you've, you've read the books. I don't know how much it goes into the description of London, but London, at that point in time, was not a particularly nice place.
0: There are definitely a book, Dickens books which go into the filth and depravity of London. Oh, this yeah, one exactly. seems to be more... The whole point being to, to focus more on how London... Because remember, you have got to think about the audience. The audience were rich London folk, and they wanted these people to actually see a London worth saving. If they just said London's a complete pit, you probably shouldn't give these people your money. Just just move to the country, then that would have completely defeated the object.
1: Uh, it's, like I said, it's just the way portrayed London. But I don't think either of them could have portrayed London in a realistic sense for the story. Because these story, this strangely enough, this story has gone from being aimed at to the to London's wealthy elite. To Aimed at mm. Children, which is quite an interesting turn, if you think mm. about it. You know, it's I gone can't... from adult, aimed at an adult audience, mm. a grown-up, educated yeah. adult audience. People
0: who could afford, um, 50, you know, five shillings. To, to kids
1: now, which is a strange journey for a story.
0: Mm. I suppose it's mainly because by the time you get to being an adult, you've heard the story so many times.
1: Which and I think is almost a shame, because you almost robbed the story of the power. Because mm. the power, pa- it's a
0: very You complex. can't hear it new for the first time, can you, when you're 30? No. Mm. That's a fine point, actually. So, but see, to me, the 09 Christmas Carol is, is not squarely aimed at adults, but it's it's aimed as an evolution of the Muppets version. And, like, okay, right, we, we've got, everyone knows the story now, That's that's that version is brilliant and almost without peer and there's almost no point doing another version of christmas carol but let's do one that's really really accurate to the book get a lot of detail in there really focus on the psychology and the emotion of it and unfortunately have huge zoomy aroundy 3d effect moments to justify our paycheck
1: yeah i mean that is a good reason to redo the story to do to do a different take on it it's one of the few reasons i will support a in this case, you can't really call it a remake, but a retelling. You know, mm. That's a reason to do one, to do it for, to take a different approach, a different look mm. at it. That's a good reason to do it. Although, like you well, just said, it's spoiled by the zooming around. Look at this, 3D, 3D, 3D. It's not spoiled, but
0: it's marred by it. And I think, ultimately, you've got to ask yourself, th- this is very much a period piece, and it has been adapted to modern day over and over again, um, you know, to, to varying degrees of, of uh, quality. But having seen the Patrick Stewart TV version, which is just phoning it in, even Stewart, when he's being he's supposed to be scared out of his wits by Marley, he's just chomping away at his gruel and going, you're fettered, why? And he's, he's not all that scared. and He's not really, I mean... Patrick Stewart is capable of incredible acting and it just seemed like that no one was being directed to be particularly emotional in that. If you're going to make another period version, what can you do these days? If you just play it absolutely straight and don't add anything to it, you're achieving nothing. If you change it too much then you're not doing a direct adaptation.
1: Yeah, I think just another one with the O nine 9 version is they got a little bit too scared in places where they might have gone, ooh, we're a bit dark, we're a bit too serious. Quick, do, a, do do some sort of gag, you know, have the guy's jaw fall off and he has to flap his jaw so he can talk. Yeah. Yeah, That's, I think uh, again, p- I think, yeah,
0: they veered to extremes on that rather than going for a, a, a more restrained middle ground.
1: Which is really strange because some of the best kids' movies are slightly dark. Oh yeah, absolutely. The ones you remember and that stay with you. Labyrinth, Dark Crystal, Goonies, Monster Squad. Although admittedly not quite a kids' movie.
2: Well, I think also the ones that that you enjoy House. as a, an adult as well, rather than just as a kid. Uh, yeah, are the darker ones. I know what you mean. I certainly agree with you, Neil, that the the Uncanny Valley does come into play a fair bit. Not all the way through. Overall, I, I quite like the look of the film, uh, but there were a few bits that did look out of place so much so that I did think why did they not just make it a live action film you know they could have just made this a live action film and and I don't know I, I, I think it would have worked pretty well presumably because it's harder to make that in 3D I guess But See, I,
0: I again I love the performance capture thing I, in, in terms of pioneering animation and you know yes it's in the uncanny valley but to get out of the uncanny valley you have to start by scaling the wall
1: well, yeah, first. But, <laughs> but as Daniel Floyd said, it's, to... it's a money sink, and it is something that's going to take us a long time. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty much what Zemeckis has concentrated on doing for the past what decade almost now, is it? Yeah, and he's it's been... probably going to have to stop
0: now because it's not, it's not profiting them as much as stylized animation well, I think, should.
2: I think that that films like the Christmas Carol is is, is where it's going to happen rather than. People making films like um, Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within, which was yeah. intended to be as photorealistic as possible, and so the Uncanny Valley that effect was present all the way through. Yes, Whereas it was. with, with uh, Christmas Carol, it only appeared in certain points. No, the it was stylized stylized the movie. It enough. No, I, I thought it was stylized enough in a lot of places that it was like. Scrooge's legs were when he was um, sketching behind the carriage his legs were much longer below the knee than they should have been and uh, his fingers were longer than they should have been it was stylized enough that that it it worked really well but the facial expressions which is where the that jarring uncanny valley effect I find happens the most fit for most of the film pretty well and I I, I thought it worked really well I think that's how animation is going to, going to improve to the point where we can start working towards photorealistic animation is in films like this rather than people trying to make a truly photorealistic feature uh, for, the, for the whole of it. It was at points, it was quite a few points, don't get me wrong, but it was only at certain points where I, I felt it looked uncomfortable and, and horrible and, and freaky and weird.
1: Although it's nice to see that you know Jim Carrey, when he wants to, can act.
2: Yeah. Oh, he did a great job. Scrooge, fantastic.
1: Although there was, I, I can't remember what moment it was, and I just went, he, he just channeled the Riddler there. There was a, I can't oh, remember. Oh no, it's a name as light as a feather. As kiddy as a schoolboy. <laughs> That's the bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just went, Riddler? <laughs>
0: They even like nod to you and go just in case you hadn't noticed. He's playing all of the ghosts when he goes. Oh, 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 oh. I know that laugh.
1: Although I do, I will say that uh, you know the the bit in the 09 version where he's he's gone joyful is a fun, is fun to watch when he's skitching and stuff like that. You, you, you're swept along in the the, the joy of the moment. I, even I was. Even mm. you know, like I said, I would always pick. I'm going to pick you know Muppets over this over that one. I'd even pick Scrooged over that one. So. I I wouldn't pick one or the other for
0: these ones. Like I said, they they work perfectly in tandem, and I think from now on it's going to be a Christmas tradition to see one and then the other, simply because they they work so well together as different interpretations of it. But that's not to say that both of them are without flaws.
1: What year did you say the Muppets was, 93? 93, yeah. Um, It's a testament to that movie that it holds up well over a decade later. Nearly 20 years later, you know.
0: Yeah, Yeah, 18 years old, jeez. It was up against Aladdin that Christmas. Wow. And uh, didn't do fantastically well, as I recall.
1: Yeah, but that was Disney's animation uh, renaissance, so... (laughs) Although this year I may do something different, I may watch maybe Die Hard or Gremlins, because they're also Christmas movies.
0: On that note, folks, if you want to go back and listen to our Die Hard episode of Gonzo, where it was all three of us on there talking about the adventures of John (laughs) McClane.
2: I'll <laughs> pick him up from the plane, yeah, gentlemen. I've not Die hard this year, but I fully intend to. Would you like to pimp your shows, gentlemen? Uh, well, you can find me uh, on Dork Tunes. We are uh, presented by Spong.com. Uh, you can find uh, find uh, episodes of Dork Tunes. Uh, the next one should be up uh, not long after this episode goes out, I guess. Yeah, the forums there as well, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt Harrier.
1: And you can find me over at gameburst.co.uk or at uh, kds.20.blogspot.com.
0: That is all from us this year. Gonzo will be off the air for a few weeks as I am just about to move house and it will take a while to get the internet back. In the meantime, keep checking Gonzo Planet and the podcast feed for more fantastic work from the Freelancers Guild and classic reissues of Digital Cowboys from the Gold Collection. Those of you who like DC may want to stay tuned after the final bit of music we have for you tonight. I'll be back in the new year with more movies, more games, more geek culture, starting with the Harry Potter review shows. Many thanks for the profound patience and professionalism of Neil Taylor and Matt Ramsey tonight. You're welcome. The world. Good night. Merry Christmas to you all. And as Tiny Tim was known to say, God bless us,
2: everyone.
4: Come together, one and all In the giving spirit Gifts are here, great and small Joyously we feel it Blessings sends us from above guide us on our way, we raise our voice as we rejoice, Bow our head and pray, a miracle has just begun, God bless us all. you With your laughter and your tears Goodness, love and virtue Father, mother, daughter, son Each a treasure be One candle's light dispels the night Now our eyes can see Burning brighter than the
3: sun
4: Great and small Joyously we feel it Father, mother, daughter, son Each a treasure be One
3: candle's light Dispense the night, Now our eyes can see
4: Burning brighter than the sun
0: Episode 182, dated Friday the 24th of December 2010, A Christmas Cowboy. Welcome to the
3: Cowboy
0: baby. Hello and welcome to the Digital Cowboys Christmas special. We're going to be talking about the games of 2010 and which ones we thought were best and worst. To start off with, the incredible Rock Band 3, which has got to be my game of the year yet again. Hello. What's this? why if our eyes don't deceive us it's the apparition of our dearly departed ex-cowboy Paul Shotten
2: yeah hi You'll show this sucks you've done it over and over again at this rate you're going to just end up talking about one thing all the time
0: well okay then what should we do You're
2: going to be visited by three ghosts tonight. Three ghosts? Yeah, and hopefully uh, you'll be better people by morning. If not, you'll be cursed as I am to talk about rhythm action games and gamerscore or something.
0: He's talking nonsense or imagining him, Tony. It's all in our heads. There's more of gravy than of grave about this one.
2: Suit yourselves. I'm off. I've got DLC to full combo and not get uploaded to the leaderboards. I'm
0: not sure, Alex.
2: He seems pretty serious.
3: (laughs) Oh, my
5: God.
6: I am the ghost of podcasts past. I have come to take you back in time all the way to Christmas 2007 and your first lame Christmas podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to Digital Cowboys Movies and Video Games Episode 36, the 2007 Roundup Part 2. Dated Friday 28th of December 2007, this is the video game episode where we discuss the best and worst of this year's video game offerings and various things that have happened in the industry and what may happen in 2008. I'm your host, Alex Shaw.
2: I'm Ballshot. I'm Danny Hacking.
0: (laughs) Okay, shall we start off much like last week's episode? By the way, this is going to be broadcast after Christmas, so, uh, oh, that was a good Christmas, wasn't it, guys? Oh, Oh,
2: man, yeah, man, I'm stuffed.
0: Are you going to get... Did you get what you wanted? Uh, Yes, those presents that I got were amazing. Uh, They were were so amazing, I can't even talk about them. I can only imagine the amount of turkey I must be recovering from eating right now. I think the illusion is over, guys. Yep. This (laughs) is is pre-Christmas. This is not live. (laughs) Okay. Right. We're lazy. So, what can we say? Is that much? dedicated? Yeah. Okay, so, let's start off with the games also worthy of mention.
6: Do you see, cowboys? You have done this show already!
1: But Ghosts of Christmas Past, hardly anybody listened to us back then.
6: Well, let us journey a little bit less far back in the past to Christmas
0: 2008. Uh, Welcome to Digital Cowboys episode 86, dated Wednesday the 31st of December 2008, the Games of 2008 special. My name is Alex Shaw. I'm Paul Shorten. I'm Tony Atkins. And as we said, Games of 2008 special. We are going to do an awards ceremony here. We've all got our tuxedo's on. Have you got your tuxedo Paul?
2: Uh, yes,
0: Tony? Yeah, if you don't believe us, just check out the uh, picture. That is a, a live action picture taken of all three of us at the event, and uh, yeah, just it's uh, it's it's a special day for us. I figure we're looking back on hundreds, I mean hundreds of games this year, and we spent ages working these out. A good ooh, twenty minutes, twenty minutes, half oh, yeah. an hour. Yeah, a bit longer. As um, as every other awards ceremony, you end up going,
1: "Yep, that's." Yep, that's I played that every one. Category, every category, every category. Uh. <laughs>
0: Uh, okay, for you people out there, we have tried to make this less rock band intensive than it probably deserves to be. Because, as you may know, we do like our rock band. We do. We do. And uh, so, yeah, we, we've tried to be as fair and as objective as possible. When rock band deserves to win...
6: And let's not forget episode 137,
0: shall we? Ah! Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Digital Cowboys and Dog end-of-year awards special. I am Alex Shaw. I am Tony Atkins. I am Neil Brooks. I'm Leon Cox. And tonight, we have awards to give out in 22 categories, covering many aspects of gaming in 2009. Now, rather than declaring a clear winner... You're going to hear each of us choosing our favourites per category and discussing why we chose them. Every game mentioned is worthy of your attention, except, of course, the nominations for Most Disappointing Game. Hopefully doing so will give you an entertaining and informative overview of the past year and not take three and a half hours. <laughs>
8: <laughs> <laughs> that may happen, yeah.
0: We Christ. <laughs> I mean, you people know more than we do how long we took on this, so uh yeah, forgive us if it's long and uh you know enjoy us
1: if it's short. Hey, okay. it's not like we've been shy it's of doing three and a half an hours like in,
0: hour. in the past. Yeah, exactly. no. Oh spirit. We see now that these shows are bland and unchallenging, but people like them. They expect them.
6: I am going now, but you shall soon meet my brother, the ghost of podcasts present.
0: All right.
3: Hi. People may expect them, digital cowboys, but when have you ever been about fulfilling expectations? It's
0: just the same guy with a beard
3: on Your whole shtick is doing things that nobody else ever thinks of.
0: Like Panto?
3: Yes, like this. Behold, this is what your show will be like tonight if you do not start thinking outside the
0: box. Okay, so it really comes down to Mass Effect 2 or Red Dead. That's why it's so hard for me. I mean, they're both great games. You see? LAME! He's right. It's just so very predictable and easy.
1: Oh, Spirit, how can this laziness be prevented?
0: I see a podcast without originality. A pair of motor mouths
3: in love with their own opinions, yakking on into eternity. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, the show will suck. I am gone now. But await the arrival of my brother, the ghost of podcasts yet to come.
2: I fear that spirit most of all.
0: Holy crap, it's a ring wraith. He's pointing at two sets of headphones. Such a bony finger he has. Let us listen.
3: Episode six hundred and eighty-seven, dated Thursday, December twenty-fourth, two thousand twenty, the Game of the Year specials. So, Tony, unshotted seven or rock band eight,
0: rock band eight, rock band eight.
2: Clearly, Alex, it's rock band eight. I mean it's the little refinements that make all the
0: difference. I like unshotted seven, it's funny.
3: Yeah, I the other side. Oh, well, I suppose you're right. Meh. Mm-hmm. 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 Let me tell you,
0: the Wii is starting to really show its age at this point. They've got to do a Wii 2 next year, at least.
2: Oh, shit.
0: We can't let this happen to us, Tony. I know. The editing was horrible.
2: And it was so, so
0: very boring. Oh, spirits. Spirits. We see now the error of our ways. We will live in the past, the present and the future and bring joy to others, but in an interesting and original way.
2: Oh, thank God he's gone.
0: I feel as light as a feather. So let's ditch the Game of the Year stuff. Yeah, we'll say that for next week.
1: But get everyone else involved so it's not just us.
0: And this week, it being Christmas, we'll just talk about our lovely community and share some of their Christmas memories.
1: Oh. Can I join in? Why, Tiny Paul, of course you can.
2: More the merrier.
0: God bless us everyone. On the the 12th day
2: of
5: Christmas, Christmas, my not you love gave to me? 12 Beatles drumming.
7: 11 snipers sniping. 10 Drakes are leaping. 9 clap claps dancing. Oh come on, get down. 8 tens are kicking. 7 sackboys swimming.
5: Six geeks are playing. No, you can't play with it. You won't enjoy it on as many levels as I do.
4: Five gold, please. Four falling bikes.
0: Ah! Three red rings. Two hidden blades. And a
3: halo-free O.E.S.T.